Welcome to Peak Mind. I'm your host, Michael Trainer, and I am recording live from the Hermitage, a silent retreat that I am doing on the shores of Lake Atiklan, Guatemala. And today I'm reflecting on a deeply powerful medicine journey that I took last week with Arcana Spiritual Center where I delve deeply into the realm of the master plants. I worked with um, Hikuri, the sacred cactus from the Mexican desert with the Wiwarika people, uh, Bufo, the medicine of the toad, the Sonoran uh, toad, as well as um, ayahuasca with an incredible elder woman who was basically like Yoda from the Shipibo tradition in Peru. It was a week of incredibly, incredibly deep medicine and profound insights. I am now just processing them all as I sit in silence on the top of this mountain overlooking the lake. But I wanna share some reflections that I think you may find valuable. So I've had the great pleasure of working with medicine in a variety of contexts over the years. And I'm extraordinarily careful about who I sit with because I'm extraordinarily sensitive to the energies in the room. And one thing that's super important to consider when thinking about your medicine journey is who is hosting and facilitating um, what training have they had? You, know, you wouldn't go to a surgeon that read about surgery in a book. You want to go to someone who's got four years of experience. I think the same is true in the medicine world. Um, and so when I heard there was a master, master shaman, a woman who'd been working for over 40 years with the plants, um, who had dieted for two years to uh, by herself um, at the age of 20, to receive certain knowledge that's extraordinarily rare, which I witnessed, and I'll tell you about in a little bit, um, hard to explain, hard to believe, but I saw some things that were truly, truly profound as it relates to healing. Uh, this woman basically took out uh, chronic pain from several of my friends that manifested in the form of a beetle and a fishbone. If I hadn't seen it, I would not believe it, but I saw it. And basically I share that not to be sensational, but rather to say I think there's realms of healing that we do not fully understand and that are profound in their abilities to bring us back to balance both individually and collectively. Unfortunately, having come from Tulum just prior to that experience with our with Arcana, I realized that there's also a lot of what I would call fake shamans, which I just did an episode on, so you can delve deeply into that. Basically, people who, who are in it more for the economics or for other self-interested goals rather than, I think, the true essence of the healing. And frankly, people that are out of their depths. I've talked to many people who are psychologically still dealing with the consequences of sitting in ceremony with facilitators that didn't have the tools 
to properly open and close the ceremony in a good way and in a healthy way. And so for those who are listening and considering doing work with the plants, I think it's super important to think about who you sit with and why you choose to sit with them. And I've been very fortunate to sit with a great many indigenous elders, many um, by invitation and not an invitation that I necessarily could pass on. Um, the benefit, I think, of having uh, been exposed to Arcana, which was introduced to me by a friend named Nick Onkin, um, is that they also work with uh, the indigenous. And I can definitely say, after having the experience, that it is a place that I would recommend. Um, just because I think they go with a lot of integrity into making sure that people are ready to do the work you know, medical intake forms, intention setting, sitting with the facilitators, a lot of pre-work that I've not seen in other ceremonies where they're really filtering and ascertaining what you want out of the experience, as well as what your intention is coming in. I don't see that often enough in ceremonial containers. And then working with uh, the woman, the female shaman that I had the pleasure of working with, there was a level of mastery that you just you just don't um, get when you work with someone who has not been working with the plant for 40 plus years. The depth at which they can they can take you, the the level of the space that they can hold is something truly, truly to witness. And so for one, I think one of the big beauties of this container was I felt safe and I haven't really shared this, but my last ayahuasca experience was about a year and a half ago. And I did four incredibly deep ceremonies uh, with Yahe, which is the Colombian brew. And I had a, a very, very good shaman, a very competent shaman, and his partner holding space. Um, but there was some discord in the, in the container, some discord in the ranks. And a woman had come up to me and had shared just prior to my fourth and final ceremony which interestingly enough, intuitively, uh, I had felt called to leave, but out of responsibility and the integrity of the container, I decided to stay. Um, I was actually randomly enough invited to Andrea Bocelli's uh, house in Forte de Marmi, which my ego very much wanted to, <laughs> to go to, but I felt responsible to stay in the container because I was invited by the shamans to stay, and so I did. But just prior, uh, a woman shared with me her deeply uh, traumatic childhood uh, sexual wounds. And during Olympia, when she was being cleaned in the ceremony, I relived those experiences as her. And that trauma stays with me still. Um, however, I did do a closing with, uh, with a, a curandero that I really respect to help kind of move that energy. But this is why I'm super careful about where I sit and with whom, because once you enter into the field, that collective consciousness, we are navigating the field together. And whilst you know, we have this notion that we are individuals, and while we do get very individual downloads, if you will, uh, during the course of a ceremony, we are inextricably interdependent and inherently connected. And so it's super important to think through 
who you're sitting with and to make sure it's with a shaman that actually knows how to navigate and protect you whilst you're in the space. And so um, this is something I, I just I really feel strongly about and I just don't I don't hear a lot of people speaking enough about it. But it took a lot for me to come to this ceremony because my last experience frankly was was quite traumatic. And I still don't know to this day if part of that experience was my own that I've deeply repressed uh, because of how horrific it was or simply I was exposed to the narrative which embedded as a seed in my consciousness and then um, was supporting this this individual and in working through that challenge uh, in the field. Um, in the end it's you know all meant to be and all beautiful because I choose to see it as such. Uh, and I did during the course of this last ceremony some follow-up work on that, um, on that experience. But I think it really begs the question of what is your intention in going into ceremony and are the people you're surrounded with both in the container as well as the facilitator, the shaman, etc., able to hold you in a good way, in a beautiful way, as you embark on this profound inner journey uh, through this individual and I think collective landscape together, which is something that's afforded through, through the medicine. I want to talk a little bit first also about the different types of medicines. So I have a huge affinity for uh, for the grandfather, for Hikuri, because I find it to be profoundly heart-opening. I find it to be very grounded, perhaps in some ways less, less sensational, less intense. Um, someone described it to me this way, which I think is imperfect but interesting, which is the grandfather's a gentleman and grandmother can be a, a more direct and fierce teacher. Um, sort of juxtaposing both, I think, peyote as well as um, San Pedro with the experience of ayahuasca, otherwise known as the grandmother. And in my experience, that's been largely correct. I've received um, hard truths in, in, in the dance with all of the, those master teachers, but I do find that um, my experience with with the grandfather with with Hikuri, with peyote has been very very heart opening and while i will receive some challenging messages or some ways in which i could be more aligned in my in the way that i live my life i also find that it's a bit more gentle and furthermore it's a solar medicine so it really comes alive and activates during the day in the sun and for me, I love that because as my friend Blue, who was on this journey with me said, I'm, I'm so deeply connected to nature that to be able to be in full view and in full receiving of nature in the natural world whilst on the medicine is something that I truly, truly relish. And after my first Hikwiti ceremony, I actually sat beneath this beautiful, beautiful tree, this huge tree, and did some 
some really deep healing work around my father who, who passed just about a year ago in April of last year. And I just found myself crying on the ground next to this, this big, beautiful acacia tree. And it was interesting because I wrote a poem and I'm actually going to share that poem with you um, that morning in the Hikuri. And well, before I go further, let me, let me read it to you. What does it mean to be a stand for the unborn, the unborn potential in all of us? What does it mean to be a stand for the sacred, to stand perfectly imperfect in the morning light, greeting the dawn, the birds call? What song do they sing for me? What song do they sing for all of us? calling us to remember our own unique note. Once forgotten, but like an old instrument discovered in an attic, dusted off and given new life. What note will you play? What song is yours to sing? We are all waiting for that curious note to rest in, knowing it is time. And in truth, there is reconciliation, forgiveness, a place to be reborn, to that which you have always been, waiting as if on the side of a road for you to arrive and take him home. So that's a little something that I wrote whilst in the, in the, in the Hikuri, in the peyote um, medicine in the morning as the sun had, had risen. And for me, it was really around this notion of, of unborn potential and this idea of what would it look like to design the ideal version of yourself. Not as this intellectual construct, but more, what does it look like to, to really sing your song, to, to honor those repressed aspects of ourself that we keep hidden away, to truly be the version of ourselves we know we can be. For example, you know, I have always loved to sing. I, I've always loved music. You know, I created a music festival and I love dancing. But music, I received at a very early age a message which was, Michael, you're good at many things, but, but singing is not one of them. And so for many years, I've repressed my voice. In fact, it took me until my late 20s or early 30s to sing my first karaoke. Um, and yet what I find in the ceremony, what I find in, the, in the, the medicine is that the song, the music is the medicine. The song is the way in which we carry our truth forward. It's the way in which we collectively ride you know, the, the experience together, you know, with the Shipibo, the Ikaros or the songs are the medicine. They're the ways in which we are healed. I literally felt as I was, uh, in front of the Maestro, the way in which the Ikaro took hold in my body and was like key, a key unlocking the door within. And I've seen that with, with, with Hikuri, with, with, uh, peyote as well. I had the great fortune 
this is in the past, but to sit in a profound council of elders. Um, I had on the, on the left-hand side, there were, there were what, what would be called the condor, which is a prophecy, the eagle condor prophecy, which is the meeting of the north and the south, the great traditions. And on the left-hand side, we had elders from the Huni Queen tribe, the Ashaninka, you know, beautiful chiefs uh, adorned with full head regalia, you know, full harpy eagle feathers, you know, people who had spent years doing the work. And on the right-hand side, the eagle, you know, Diné and Cheyenne roadmen, uh, people who had done deep work in, from the North American tribes. And it was uh, a ceremony held by the Wiwatika, this beautiful uh, uh, tribe in Mexico otherwise known as the Huicholes. And the way that Jerry, this beautiful roadman or shaman, opened the morning with his four songs, I describe it like, it's, it's, it's like if you were sitting next to Aretha Franklin on a bus and you had no idea who she was. But then once she started to sing, it was like you were, you were shown a masterpiece. And with Jerry, it was like that as well. It was like, I don't know if you've ever seen the movie, A River Runs Through It, but that scene at the end when Brad Pitt is casting and he's discovered a secret, secret casting technique that is uniquely his own, where the fish will actually jump up. It never, the, the flies never touch the, the water, but the fish will jump up to meet the fly. And when Jerry played the rattle, it was like that unique casting technique. It was, it was unique and beautiful. And in his song and in his rattle, he gave us the key to unlock parts of ourself. And I saw that in the song with the Ikaros as well, with this beautiful woman, Yaskina, this, this incredible healer elder uh, over the weekend. And she awoke within me uh, latent potential. And I remember sitting on that first morning on the ground, I had just done um, a hape, um, which is a, um, a sacred uh, tobacco snuff uh, that is very centering, used by tribes in Brazil. It's not something I do often, but when I do, it is a very strong centering force. And as I laid back, I actually saw a condor, I kid you not, with its wings spread fully open, basking in the morning sun. And I, I believe drying off its wings, but, but to me it was like a message of standing in full glory uh, of the morning and opening one's wings to receive the day. And I thought about what would it look like if we actually went about receiving the day with the glory of that condor? What would it look like to fully step into the majesty of our song, both individually and collectively? And so one of the pieces that I've come out of this week with is the desire to start learning music, start learning these medicine songs, because one of the ways in which we can be a contributor in these spaces is through our song. And it's interesting because in the, in the ceremonial space, you can definitely tell the difference. Someone can be a very beautiful singer, but you can tell the difference between a song that's intended to carry the group, to carry the collective, and a song that's meant to make the individual look good, look like they're shining, look like they're a good singer. 
and where in the West, or perhaps in traditional music, we want someone to show their individual talent. In the medicine, it actually takes us out of our deep journey. And so what carries forth and what, what in, in a way, tunes the medicine into our collective intention is the song. And the most powerful and beautiful and potent songs are the ones that are able to carry the collective, the group, the furthest. And, you know, in traditional contexts, the indigenous would know that different songs have different force, you know, different uh, forza, they say in Brazil. And you navigate the space based on which way the forza needs to go. Bringing people up, bringing them back down. Do you, do you use it? The music is a calming force to use it to build the energy, the forza. And so I think one of the things to, to really be mindful of is how is your song a contribution to the collective force? How is your music uh, resonant? And are you singing because you want to be heard or are you singing because that song needs to be sung? I think that's a beautiful distinction. Are you singing because you need to be heard or are you singing because that song needs to be sung? And the distinction there is the song that needs to be sung is the song that enables the collective to dance. The song that you want to be heard is more about an individual sense of lack or worthiness and a desire to be seen and I think in life we're often in that dance between our individual desire to be seen our individual um, orientation towards frankly individual exaltation you know basically wanting to be seen and feel important and the space we re-enter in, in, in the medicine, which is more of a collective, community, tribal sensibility, wherein each person is given the space to find a renewed sense of balance through the collective. I lived many years ago with a traditional healer in Sri Lanka, and I studied actually exorcistic rites and exorcistic rituals. And Traditionally in Sri Lanka, there was no word for privacy. There was no word for possession. So you exist in relationship to the whole. And it was the, the role of the whole to bring a person who had fallen out of balance, who felt unseen, who needed to be celebrated back into balance. And so what they would do is from sunset to sunrise, they would ritually recreate their shared cosmological worldview. They would create elaborate offerings to the gods, um, beautiful flower altars. Um, there would be dance and coals that, that men would walk on entranced, fire rituals. All of these uh, aspects were ostensibly oriented towards bringing the person who had fallen out of balance back into balance with the whole. Because if one person in the collective or the community had fallen out of balance, then the whole had fallen out of balance. Because there was a recognition that we are not separate, we are inextricably linked. And so I think the beauty for me of stepping back into the deep ceremonial work is 
that I'm reminded of the power of our collective energy, the power of our collective song, and my role and responsibility in some ways in helping to be a contribution through that song in a way that isn't about being heard, but in a way that is about the song that needs to be sung. And in what I wrote, you know, at the end, you know, I talk about this notion of arrival and this notion of, of coming home. And I think one of the most beautiful aspects of what I experienced over the last week uh, is amidst the medicines, a sense of a reminder of who I truly am in the greater sort of existential or cosmological sense, not the egoic identity sense, but in the sense of who is Michael Trainer a stand for? What is his rightness? And I don't mean rightness in the right or wrong. I mean rightness as in what is mine to be sung? What is what is what is what is my aligned vision? To me, that is the notion of rightness. And how is that rightness the greatest activator for my community, my constituency? And the, the metaphor I, I, I use, which I think is apropos here, is, is that notion of the song. What is my unique song to sing? And the question I would ask you is, what is your unique song to sing? And whether you're someone who dances with, you know, the beautiful sacred plant teachers or chooses other paths. You know, this morning I awoke at 6.30 to do a one-hour meditation here on the lake. And that's another powerful tool uh, for self-discovery, for self-inquiry. Um, you know, maybe for you it's running. You know, there's so many different ways in which to find center and to get the insights that we need. But for those who are curious about working with the master plants, I would say that the experience that I just had is one I could definitively recommend. And that's unusual for me to say, but this was, this was something truly extraordinary. I think whether you're very new and have never done the work with the plants, or experienced, and some of the folks I sat with had been, had sat, you know, in many, many ceremonies. It was, to me, the right intention behind the container, and it felt well held. And I think, unfortunately, well, there's a there's a profound need for the, the plants. I think we're amidst a period in time where there's a necessitation for an awakening of consciousness for us to get right as humans with the with our balance on the planet um, that said these these plants need to be treated ethically responsibly um, many of them are being over harvested or harvested in a way that causes strain on the on the ecosystems and so i think being mindful of all of those things are integral to the intentionality of the work and it's my belief that it's harder to find places that I, that I would recommend that I think are mindful of that. But in my experience over the last week, that was definitively something that was presented. And, and before each ceremony, there was an intention session, an, an orientation, if you will, 
as well as at the end, uh, which I think is the most important, you know, everyone is chasing the ecstasies of the medicine, but the real work is in the integration. It's in how do we take the tools and the insights that we learn through the course of working with the medicines and apply them in our day-to-day -day living. And so one of the things I liked about Arcana's context was that they had a beautiful orientation around integration. And a good portion of it was, was I would say, um, common sense, such as eating you know, healthy and organic foods, etc. But then they, the, the other orientation, which is around sort of what they call the seven Ps, but in essence, the ways in which we go about patience and our practice and finding a, a way in which to incorporate these insights into our day-to-day -day life was really helpful. And I think that's also something I see missing in uh, medicine communities is an, is an orientation and seriousness around integration because, you know, we, we have these incredibly ecstatic experiences, insights that are absolutely profound. But if we don't have a commitment to incorporating them into our lives, then in essence, we're just chasing experience. We're just chasing ecstasy. And we're still the same people we were when we came in. And I feel like that's really missing the boat, really missing the opportunity. Because, you know, these, these teachers are, are master teachers. It's like getting your PhD in life and living from, <laughs> from master elders. And, you know, the plants which have, have grown since time immemorial to, to help us evolve in the best way. And so if we don't have a commensurate ethic around the seriousness of, of that intention, of that integration, then I think we miss the, the opportunity to, to use these tools as, as truly transformational vehicles in our life. Um, so I wanna talk a little bit about um, my experience. I feel like I, I share less about it personally because one, there's an intimacy and I'm still processing a great amount of the information. And two, I feel like oftentimes, you know, when we talk about ourselves, it, it takes it away from something to think that is necessarily inherently valuable for you, the listener. But what I'll say in broad strokes is that my experience with, with Hikuri was really around this notion of who's the man you want to be and who's the man you want to become and how can you design that man to be the best version of himself from a place of love and consideration. With Bufo, I got a very clear message that was, no one can hurt you and you are healing. No one can hurt you, you are healing. And I woke and there was a butterfly sitting on my father's shirt. I was wearing one of my dad's shirts throughout the medicine work to, to keep him close. And butterflies have always been a messenger for me because I grew up going to a, a lake in Wisconsin called Wapaka. And there's always butterflies by that lake. And it's one of the places that I developed such a strong relationship with my dad. Uh, it's also the place where I will uh, likely wind up spreading some of his ashes and the butterfly that is a messenger for me. And I looked at it and it was as if beckoning me closer. And to me it was, it was a message from my dad, but also a message from my, my future queen, 
And in that moment, I committed. I said, I'm coming for you. I promise. So there was a beautiful beauty in that, in that, in that insight, in that commitment, in that uh, experience. And with ayahuasca, it was, it was very, very beautifully challenging. I saw all the ways in which I feel I'm out of alignment, if you will. Um, I saw ancestral and deep childhood wounds, my own, my family's. Um, I saw, in a way that I could handle it, some really deeply dark energy that had come my way as a, as a young boy. Um, some abuse, which I've never fully uh, acknowledged before, but uh, some ways in which others had hurt me. I saw some ways in which I had hurt others um, and really did some deep, deep, deep healing work. And I think that's the beauty of, of the grandmother is I, th I think it's an honest, sometimes extraordinarily hard process, but one in which we can get right with ourselves. And I don't think ever I've ever been shown anything I I can't handle, but it's definitely things you don't often conveniently want to just take a gander at. It's oftentimes the things that are deeply held within our psyche or energetic field or family narratives or lineage that, um, that I think get to stop with us. You know, we get to be a stand for new possibilities. And as, uh, as we do the work, we get to see areas in which, you know, there have been blind spots within ourselves, within those around us, within our families. And I'm reading this beautiful book right now called The Book of Joy with the Dalai Lama and Desmond Tutu. I highly recommend everyone goes and checks it out. But a lot of it is around that notion of truth and reconciliation. And this deep notion of you know the the wound the the wounded the the oppressor the victim i think in some ways we've all been both unfortunately some of us have have become have have been um more wounded than others and i have deep compassion uh, around that but i think hearing these two men who have gone through such tremendous challenges you know Desmond Tutu with apartheid and the Dalai Lama with uh, relocating and being a stand for his people in a way where, you know, they're, they're, they're in exile. I think listening to their humor and the medicine of their laughter and their, their voices and, and, and finding humor in, in those deeply challenging circumstances is the medicine. It's our perspective. It's the way that we approach things. And I found that as well in the ceremony. Just when it got darkest, I would be called to listen to one of the Ikaros, these sacred songs. And in that sacred song, like the salve of, of laughter, it, it broke the darkness. It was like, uh, it was like a light, in the, a lighthouse, if you will, in the darkness, a lighthouse by which to sail home. And so, it was very, very beautiful. I'm, I'm still processing all of the insights from the experience, but 
I think that's the beauty of what I'm doing now is taking these five days to just be with myself and to eat nutritious food and to sleep and to read and to journal and to share with you my audience in a way that's hopefully valuable for you. Um, a lot of folks have, have reached out and asked me, hey, you know, do you have a shaman you recommend? Do you have a place you recommend? And generally, uh, you know, I say anyone who calls themselves a shaman, I, I avoid. Uh, but what I would say is, um, you know, I can say that um, this retreat center arcana that I just sat with is, is a place that I would recommend. Um, there are others as well. But um, I think it's really about tuning into yourself and making sure that wherever you go, it's a place where you feel safe where there's intentionality around intake, around orientation, around making sure that that set and setting is a place you feel incredibly open to revealing yourself within, and that you also feel empowered with the tools to navigate that, those waters, that you feel there's a, there's, a, there's a lighthouse, if you will, that will help guide you home. And that there's tools for integration so that whatever experience you have in your journey, you're able to truly apply it to the insights in your own life. Um, you know, if anyone has any questions, you can always reach out to me directly at Michael Trainer on social media. Um, I'm committed to this work. It's one of the tools I find to be most clarifying, but I'm... Uh, I would say very serious about how I approach it and you know I'll, I'll talk more about it in the shows again I, I feel like there's so many aspects to talk about as it relates to medicine the notion of you know making offerings of being a stand of you know intentionality of orientation of the, the caliber and quality of those you sit with in regards to their own preparatory work you know this woman I sat with literally was alone for almost two years in the jungle dieting with one plant. That's the level of um, seriousness with which she approached her work. And during those two years garnered the tools to actually pull dis-ease from the body, which I witnessed. And my friend Nick, I literally saw this woman suck out his chronic pain and spit out a beetle. I have a video of it, which I'll see if if Nick gives me the permission to share, but tools that are not necessarily uh, seen as credible or uh, common in any way, shape, or form in, West, in the Western world in reality, but which are profound in their ability to um, create more balance. And I saw that when I, when I lived with the traditional healer in Sri Lanka. I saw things you cannot describe with the Western mind. But they were very real and if I hadn't seen it myself I probably would find it hard to believe but I did see it and I do believe it and it's now become an aspect of my own personal inquiry to step into the mystery to step into the deep spiritual sciences that have been around since time immemorial but have often been either forgotten or repressed or consciously held in, 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 the, in secret, if you will. 
I did some deep work with a Mayan shaman by the name of Martin Prechtel, who's from the very shores, or spent time at the very shores of this lake, Lake Atiklan. And he said that pain is the horse that beauty rides. And that we take the challenges of this life and we turn it into spiritual compost. We take the shit and we turn it into spiritual compost for new growth. He said, sometimes certain truths can't be shown in full light because it attracts too much energy. Sometimes you need to let that truth run through the cracks, like grass growing through the cracks of the concrete. And I feel like what I'm starting to see now is some of the grass growing through the cracks of the concrete, the concrete matrix, if you will. And the grass of that Gaian consciousness finding its way through May we turn the challenges of this life into spiritual compost for new growth. And may we become effective vessels for that guy in consciousness as it breaks through the oppressive aspects of the matrix, the oppressive aspects of society, and the constraints that we have both collectively as well as in our minds. May we find our way to to beautifully grow through and beyond those constraints. And may we find a way to dance in the music of our collective possibilities.